0: All right, hello, hello, hello. Welcome to another episode of the Stories of Selling Human Podcast. I'm your host, Alex Smith, and I started this podcast because I believe everyone in the world will someday be faced with a situation, could be business, could be personal, that requires you to create change. I think we all wanna be heard, seen, and understood, but the people who get our attention and convince, persuade, or influence us not just salespeople. There are great humans throughout all walks of life that we're drawn to. I'm going to share their stories here so we can tap into what makes us human, practice our human skills, and ultimately we'll all become better at selling by being human. All right, gang, I'm excited to have this this person on the podcast today. Another CEO, he's a CEO of a company called Win Analytics, a sales consulting company. We're going to talk through his value-driven growth methodology, this guy's brought together, you know, he's going to talk about it, but he's been in uh, sales leadership roles over 10 years of experience as a revenue leader for enterprise and early stage companies. He has a PhD in social science from Stanford and uh, the RAND Corporation. Some of his clients have included AdmitHub, Ascend Learning, Credo Reference, TrueFit, among others. And we're going to talk a little bit about an awesome book he has coming out in April 2022 called The Revenue Acceleration Playbook. Please welcome none other than Brent Keltner to the podcast. Welcome, Brent. How are you?
1: Hey, Alex. I'm I'm good. Thanks so much for having me.
0: Yeah. Some of the things I was really excited about, we'll talk about kind of your value-driven methodology. But I saw a video that you were talking about recently. Uh, with uh, someone who kind of referred you to me, Colin Mitchell, and you, you were talking a lot about authenticity in sales. And we've had a bunch of our guests uh, kind of bring this up. And it, it's definitely it can be a buzzword uh, amongst people. But I, I just wanted to start with you and maybe ask you like if you can think of an experience in your life, maybe recently, or maybe even growing up where as a buyer, you just felt like the person across the table from you was authentic, they had integrity, you could really, really trust them. And even though you didn't know them, you really felt that the person on the other end had authenticity. What did that look like for you? If you can think
1: Yeah, of I'll give you two stories. One where I was on the other side, and then where I was doing something that I didn't think was selling, but was really selling, where authenticity was the key in both. Uh, we moved in about a year ago into a new place in Jamaica Plain in Boston and had a couple of color consultants, basically paint people, come out, right? And it was just fascinating to look at the difference between them in terms of, you know, the one individual that just started walking around and telling us all the Kind of suggestions on paint here and there and had their color palette out and why this was the best, best kind of paint, and that was the best kind of paint. And the other person really just kind of showed up and said, Hey, you know, tell me more what what sort of mood you're trying to create in each of these rooms in the house. And what do you use the room for? You know, and ask us just a series of questions before ever getting into their product is like, hey, you know, why did you guys ask me here, right? What are you hoping to create? And it was just like, you know who we ended up going with. I mean, it was just two totally different experiences. One is just, you know, here's my product. Here's why I think this is what you need. Other was like, tell me what you're looking for. And then we'll talk about what I do. That's what I think of as authenticity right? In selling, it starts with being a buyer problem solver. It uh, also eventually you're going to have to make some asks to see, you know, if you have fit, have alignment, but, you know, person was outcoming as a color consultant. They weren't a salesperson, right? They were kind of representing the company. Somebody else was going to transact the order, but they were just kind of doing their job and drawing us out.
0: Yeah. You know, it's so, Funny, I feel like we all have those stories, like everyone listening to this can think of that same type of a scenario with a contract. I know I'm dealing with it right now, literally today, like your your story makes me think of a guy today that, you know, I I'm looking for siding on my house and in Florida, it's an epidemic. Literally, when you call a contractor and, and these are like the the most well known contractors in the area. They have all the billboards. They're the most well-known, let's say, because when you Google, I don't know anything about siding. I'm just Googling siding, and you know they're they're resistant. They're, they're they're they try to disqualify you right away, and they're just like, you know, are you looking for a repair or replace? Because we don't do repairs. Like it's not, you know enough money for us to do. I was like, but you know my. Maybe not. I'm not a $10,000 customer or $5,000, but maybe I'm a thousand or two thousand now. But what about the lifetime of my business? Like, I could, I could potentially transact multiple transactions with you, and I could have many things wrong with my house that I don't know about. But like, someone taking that approach with you, like, that's like, hey, like, what? Like, tell me more. What are you looking to do? they're really getting to know, again, they're not even talking about them, like assuming that I think it's really hard for people because, you know, we assume if people, especially if people reach out to us, like you reach out to them, that they just automatically think, oh, I'm just quoting you or I'm here to just figure out how I get you a a number here. Even the best salespeople, sometimes they just forget like to take a single step back, even though people that are most seeming like they're a best fit to take a quick step back and go let's let's talk about what you think your problem is or what you think you're doing and let's have a conversation about that like let who cares about what i have what i got let's like figure out what you're doing it just puts you in a totally different mindset what what do you Well
1: think- and what i love what you just said because the reality is this more authentic approach doesn't take longer it actually takes shorter often because you get to the heart of the matter quickly, as opposed to just running through all your products. I mean, those two were in our house for a similar period of time. The second one that, you know, had the more authentic, actually the the meeting went quicker, right? Because we got quicker to the points of kind of the sparks of energy and value on, on our side. And that's true. I see it all the time in sales conversations. If you just start with, Hey, what are you hoping to get out of this today so I can make sure I focus when I tell you about our product or demo something to you, I can focus on what's most important to you. You get to the heart of the matter a lot quicker. You actually I always talk about it as the buyer is, you know, building the bullseye for you and the target, right? A lot less work to get there. (laughs) Right. You just ask. Yeah. And the reality is you can we we do a lot of work on good discovery questions. But, you know, just asking, you know, what what are you hoping to get out of the call today? And is there one thing you were hoping to accomplish? And, you know, just asking people to prioritize. uh, They'll do it because they're they're happy to share. And I, I I'll share another example that a personal example. and This is in the book and how I got into being a revenue leader. I was trained as a qualitative researcher and I was selling research interviews, right? I mean, I was, I needed company bank executives, telecom executives, insurance executives were the industries where we were doing research, some manufacturing. I was an academic and we were reaching out about a research project. So I thought I had to be really commercial right? I had to really focus on what was in it for them. So I would always reach out with what was in it for them, what they might learn, who the peers I was working with that were like them. I wouldn't talk about us or what we were doing. I was like, it's all about you. And was pretty successful getting people to take calls and getting very senior leaders and some very famous CEOs and business leaders to take calls. And the kernel for me, when I went over to the commercial side was all the folks that I walked that were trained in sales, they would all show up and throw up their product. And I had learned to kind of just ask people like, you know, would you be interested in a call on this? And when they showed up to the call, I would always just say, hey, this is what we're going to cover any top priorities for you. Like, what do you want to get out of this call today? And then I would recap to them. So I just flipped it from it was a mindset. What you said, I love that. It's really not about time or skill. It's a mindset. Am I here to focus on my product and my company, or am I here to focus on what you're trying to solve for and how I can help?
0: Yeah. I almost view it as uh you, you know, you're not leading. You know, you we think we are like you are in the sense, and but you're not doing it in the typical sense of the word. Actually, the customer wants to lead. They want to feel like they, they're, they have some direction and that like they're like they have some freedom, autonomy to decide where this is going to go, because ultimately you're, you're there because of them. I mean, you're, you're only there because they gave you the right to be there. So who am I to even try to, to lead with us or like our history or our logo slides, or I, I, I just, I'm always of the mindset of, Hey, here's what I heard, or let's recap and let's, Let's talk about like what you've told me up until this point. Has anything changed? Where are we going? Did I not cover? What do you see? Like, I, even if you repeat things in their own words, people might go, "Well, it's sort of like that." But let me rephrase. Like, let let me just add a point. Let me add on to what you just said, and then you find something new because it's all about getting information.
1: On that, I mean, we actually I will just wrote a, a blog post on this that uh, sellers don't close deals. <laughs> Buyers close deals. Yeah. All sellers can do is guide buyers. Yeah. Guide <laughs> them towards understanding how we can help them. And then we do know how to give give them the steps to close. What is their internal purchase process going to look like? But they got to do it. All we can do is guide them, nudge them forward. But this idea of salespeople as closers, it's a decades-old concept. We got to guide buyers have to see enough value to actually move the process forward on their side to a close
0: yeah half the half the time sometimes the things are closed i'm you know i'm not one to uh i you know i probably ask I, I do ask uh for the business a lot of times but a lot of times it's it's technically closed a lot sooner than i actually get the actual notification or like the you know the 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 confirmation like it's it's it was closed the second or third call like it's just a for the closure was like a formality like you said the buyers close themselves with every interaction of where they want to go and what they're looking to do and see as a social scientist i'm really really curious about your history because i'm really kind of interested about where people kind of first learn these approaches or first like there was some moment where it was like oh this actually works so you said You were selling research studies. So were there concepts that you brought from your days as a like social, like you you got a degree from Stanford in social science. So like what concepts do you feel like served you well from, from your, you know, education in that realm and into what you're doing today and and things that you've noticed have, have really translated from, from,
1: yeah, I built, I mean, I, I, I taught myself. This idea of an authentic buyer journey, how to do that at Rand. This idea of I, what I was really selling—I did sell a lot of projects. I had, had good success there, but then it was like I needed to get 40 or 50 interviews, individual interviews. You know, it's like a reaching out for a sales call. So prospecting for a research interview rather than a first sales call. So this is where I built what I thought was a commercial set of practices. I'd always reach out with a, you know, kind of information on, hey, what they would get if they participated in the research call. It was a 30-minute call, what they would get. Other peers that we were talking to of theirs, dropping names that they would recognize to kind of legitimate a reference selling concept. I would always use call and email Follow ups. If I wanted to get people, I'd email them and then I'd say, I'm going to follow up by phone in a couple of days, right? And I'd get on the call and I'd recap. And then at the end, I'd send them a follow up email just with what we had agreed on, if there's anybody next on their side that was going to be involved in the conversation. So I developed this idea of an authentic buyer journey to get more research interviews. I then came over to the commercial side and it was. I had a, a great year at Kaplan, more on the marketing side of things. At Edge of Ventures, I was leading a true go-to-market team. Went out to all my buddies in business, and I said, hey, this is new to me. Can you share with me all the stuff you have on sales strategy and go-to-market strategy and positioning strategy? And they sent me all this stuff that was about the buyer and customer journey. It was all about pitching your product. How do you competitively position your product? How do you position your pricing strategy to get people to buy more? And I was just like, where's the buyer in this? So I went straight back to what I did and ran and built out prospecting and sales processes that I had used to get research interviews and trained my sales and go-to-market team to always lead with buyer empathy, what's in it for the buyer, Always lead with discovery on the buyer's goals, getting to a success statement, what they cared about the most. Then you had permission to talk about your product and always finish with, and what actions will they take to demonstrate they actually see that value? Because it's, it's one thing, right? I mean, talk is cheap in some ways and you think you had a good connection and they talk about different things that they see that you could work on together, but will they actually go afterwards and take actions? Will they talk to their boss? Will they prioritize across three areas that you talked about? Will they consider what you know timeline this might be a priority? Will they invite other people to a next call? What are they doing to show that they actually see enough value to take actions on their side to move the conversation forward? So I trained my team on how to do that. We had a really awesome growth run there and then a collegiate link and then plus Delta Partners. And I was like, you know, I can consult on this and do it for other people because there's a method to this madness. And I think it was precisely because I wasn't trained as a commercial salesperson that I came to this approach.
0: Yeah. You know what? I I do like it because, yeah, you think there is tons of awesome sales books out there, but there's a lot that are focused on competitive differentiators and objection handling and, you know, things that yeah, focus on kind of like, how do you position what you have and that sort of thing. And there are some great ones on the buyer, but I do like, like you're, you're focusing solely, you know, on the other person when you're, you know, kind of like leading with empathy again, trying to find out priorities. And then I like the last one, like, will they take action as a result? of it? I almost think like, I want to find out before, you know, kind of like what you do on the coaching and consulting, because I, I guarantee you, like the framework you're using, you're probably using to coach sales teams and and how you coach is kind of a, probably a sales process in, a, in and of itself. Can you think just uh, like in your personal life, maybe even before you came up with this, like where you were probably using some of this stuff, you know, whether it was like, you know, getting a flight or getting a discount at a hotel, or maybe even like with your, your family members or friends? Did this stuff kind of come up where you could say, oh, you know what? Like this person's maybe giving me a little more information. They're doing things that might be different than what they're normally used to doing because I'm coming at it from their perspective. They can feel like that I'm truly coming at it from from their perspective and wanting to really know who they are.
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I guess I'll say it this way. Growing up, with my family or friends, I always wanted to get my way. The thing (laughs) I realized is you could either try and drive people in a direction or you could ask them, Mm -hmm. right? You could ask them if it's like, what movie are you going to go to, right? You could ask them like why they were interested in a certain movie. And then I just found if you heard them and use their words, right back to them, that you get them more motivated in a certain direction. So I just asked my different friends, like, you know, try and build a consensus using their words for what I really wanted to do. Yep. I don't know if that is a helpful example, but I think having people hear you say back their words is a very powerful way of persuading. You're saying, I'm listening. I understand. You can then guide the conversation with that. That's an example of how I would use that playback the kind of guide in the direction I wanted to take things. Yeah.
0: I mean, it sounds like it's, it is, it is. I mean, you know, there's tons of training about like, you know, just like kind of repeating like back what someone just said, confirming what someone just said, like making sure that they heard you. And yes, if you repeat back, even if it's just subtle things, like someone's asking to go to the movies and, Oh, you want to see that movie sounds like you really like romance or like, that like yeah like they they end up telling you a lot more than they just did because you were just you know you were just they felt like oh wow Brent's like like sitting back on this conversation and spending a little more time with me than most people would be like oh no I don't want to do that I want to do this and nobody likes to be told what to do so it's like okay this person's again hearing me trying to understand me and if it's like cool well then you transition you can also you know very easily transition to. Cool. Like, tell me a little bit more why you like that. Cool. Have you ever considered or like, well, if you like that, did you realize or did you know or had you seen that there's actually comedy in this movie that's a that's like billed as a horror movie? I mean, most people wouldn't realize, but this actor did this, this, this and this. And, you know, he actually he he's he's pretty funny or something like that. And people were like, exactly. no, I didn't realize that Brent, you know, tell me more about that. Well, you know, he was in this movie and that movie and he did this and that it's a horror movie, but you know what, there's, there's a lot of like, you know, comedy in it too. If you're, if you're a comedy fan, I don't know, something like that, but yeah, people don't realize so much. They don't know so much, but if you really try to get to know them, they're, they they're going to want to like reciprocate and and get to know you a little bit more and maybe um, go somewhere that uh, they wouldn't have normally went because you were willing to uh, to kind of spend more time with them. Right. Exactly. Well, cool. Tell me a little bit more. I mean, you have this book coming out, uh, you know, this, you know, revenue acceleration framework and, you know, just on your website, you talk a lot about just like what you just said kind of you're really taking people through a framework of understanding, like what they perceive as, as value taking them through, you know, uh, like mapping that value to what they really want and what problems they're solving and then like you know seeing if they're going to commit some type of action so tell me a little bit about like the framework you're doing and and you know kind of maybe some of the steps that people could maybe apply and and what they could look forward to if they were to pick up your book what what things what are some of the key themes and maybe if you could discuss that a little bit what could we learn from it
1: yeah yeah i mean you just nailed one of them when we think about shifting from product driven selling to authentic conversations, it really is just following the three parts you just described. We say in any buyer interaction, and this includes prospecting interactions, always start with trying to discover what your buyer cares about the most. How could you make them more successful? Start there because now when you speak about your product, right, you're not going to bore them. You're actually going to excite them because you, you, you're going to repeat this is what i heard you say as you said and this is how we solve the problem so now you're speaking directly what they to what they care about you're speaking into exactly what you heard you can share the parts of your product or your company store you know your stories about your clients or if any outcomes data that aligns to that so that's part two is once you know what they care about speak to it and you'll get credit for that and build velocity there as well and build engagement And then part three is, and then just ask for reciprocal commitments. You know, I understand that this seems like this is where we could find a match. Did I hear that correctly? And if we were able to schedule a next call, you know, who else would need to come in on your side for us to have a meaningful call? Who else is going to decide with you or, you know, would love to know relative to the other things you're thinking about? right now, is this a top priority for you? Is it one of your top initiatives? Or is it just something you're, you're just starting to collect information on, right? So now you could ask them to give you some information back. So I think those three-part meetings, three-part interactions is a great way to think about it. Just first spend a little time, what do they care about? How can you map what you're doing You know, to exactly what they care about? And then what do we agree to do next? How can they confirm they see enough value to take action is one big theme. A second big theme is, look, the easiest way getting started with this is just thinking about your most successful customers. Why did they buy from you? In their words, what would they say? And if you don't know, go ask. Because the best sellers, the best account managers, best prospectors for that matter, You know, we know who our clients are, our best clients that we're going to use for a reference. And so just asking them, you know, what is it that you get out of working with us? What, What are you excited about? And use their language to then bring it into your next conversations is the easiest way to sell authentically. All you're doing is capturing why your existing customers work with you and then sharing that with others to see if they have similar needs. or you know, similar approach. So that's, that's a second. We talk about, you know, sort of selling with your customer voice. The third thing, and this is for any team that, you know, you have just a handful of people on your sales team, your go-to-market team. We always talk about the importance of building shared playbooks. I mean, you and I were talking before about sports and Tom Brady and, you know, can you imagine a, a football team or any professional football team or a you know, even a college team not having a playbook on how they ran their plays. In this case, a playbook is how do we engage our customers in a consistent way? How do we do discovery? How do we message back? How do we qualify forward? How do we manage a demo with a group? Can't imagine a a sports team not having a playbook. A lot of go-to-market teams, they don't have a shared playbook. It's every person on their own. So if you don't have a shared playbook, how do you get to operational excellence? You don't. You have top performers and everybody else. So we always say, look, think about a shared playbook, right? It's just a, it, not a script. It's just sort of agreement on this is how we do discovery. This is how we message. everybody. It's a framework. Everybody comes up with their own language, their own questions, their own examples. But you now have a way of comparing and learning from each other.
0: I really, I mean, such a, a very, like, it seems very simple, but, you know, <laughs> everything that isn't so, uh, like, that seems simple isn't always, or that seems uh, simplistic isn't always so simple to do in practice. And I think, I, I love, like, some of the things that you were saying, you know, just around, like, putting this, you know, into practice in, in just conversations, like, in talking your customer's language. I feel like doesn't get done enough. I mean it's done with our marketing's language of our customers that's a little bit sanitized a little bit or maybe it's you know it's it's picking out a couple things but like I know so many of my friends and like they have like their you know customer like hit list or their their language list or like their like whatever and they're they're putting their customers in it's not just the stories from marketing but it's like the lines that really like just speak the language of their customer and they can say that really just flows off their, Hey, like someone was in your exact same situation. They said it, it sounds like, this is what happened when they did X. It felt just like this, you know, can you relate to any of that? I'm not, I imagine you don't deal with any of that as a, as someone with the same job title, right? Oh my God. It's exactly like that. You know, and it's like, boom. Okay. We're talking the same language, same conversation. I can tell Alex, Brent, anything, and they would, they might be able to help me since he already said he's he's had this same exact situation before. Obviously, but he's treating me like it's the first time he's he's had my problem, you know, and not just like, oh, we can solve that, like, oh, I've seen this before, we can absolutely do it for you. No, he's taken a step further and saying, you know, I've I've had somebody that's actually like this is what it sounded like to them. Does that match with what you're dealing with? Oh, you know, no, like tell me a little bit about yours. So you really start getting that, that emotional reaction out of them that, you know, like things are kind of going in the right direction when they're telling you, you know, they're using like really emotionally charged words for things and you can see how big the problem really is. And it's not just maybe a small problem. They want to Yeah,
1: you said there, you said that really well, you know, when you start to share stories, right, is what our buyers care a lot more about than our product is where we've been successful with people like them. So when you're, or that we're having conversations with, hey, you know, if you're talking to a CMO, it's about, you know, other CMOs that I'm talking with are focused on this issue. Is that a concern for you or a VP of sales and a, certain very competitive industry is working with your team in this way, an issue for you. Now you're part of the club, right? You're not a vendor trying to sell them something. Now you're part of the club. So you said that really well. I mean, kind of bringing in their peer reference points or social proof.
0: Yeah. What do you think about um, like uh, those people that are kind of going after new business? Maybe you're a new business owner. Maybe you've never, you're not like maybe like you, you didn't have the sales background and, you know, you know, it's, it's kind of like, you feel like the word sales is, you know, it's just a little self-serving or icky or, you know, uh, I mean, we all kind of before getting into sales, like a lot of times people just have the worst, like just, you know, worst image of, of what sales is and, and what a salesperson is because of just, uh, you know, all the bad salespeople before us that have wrecked it, the party for everyone. So what advice do you have for someone who's maybe not a trained salesperson? They're just, you know, they're trying to to do this as a, I don't know if you coach like, um, you know, business owners or, you know, people without a traditional sales background, but, you know, what things could they maybe do? And and maybe this framework is, is a good start, but like, you know, to get new business, like how should they be thinking about approaching their their buyers and what things could they do on a base level? Someone that's not really someone who has had a sales background.
1: Yeah. I mean, I think it's um, repeating a little bit our, our conversation, but I think if you're thinking about prospecting to new buyers or, uh, you know, you're going to networking mm-hmm. events yeah. and meeting people and, and talking about, you know, what you do and finding points of connection. The two things is, look, just asking people, well, one is already, we're talking about just sharing what you're working with, with people like them, right? You build instant credibility when you are talking with people in the same industry or the same sector. I mean, I'll give you just an example from our own work is uh, just reached out to a couple of colleagues that are, you know, they sell into manufacturers. And they usually have something that's focused on industrial automation. How can we make the process of production more predictable and cost effective? And so I just put in, you know, three companies we were working with in that space, and said, you know, we're working with Parsable and Seam and NECI on industrial automation. Know those buyers and um, know their the value props pretty well. Not sure if that's you know you're you're working on a sales transformation initiative, but just FYI. Right. If you're open to having a networking call, would love to. And it was just like, boom, you know, sure enough, they were working on a sales transformation effort. And what they wanted to get on the phone is, knows what, what exactly are you doing with NECI and SEAM? Can you tell me more about that? That yeah. was the hook. Yeah. It wasn't about us. It was like, hey, what are you doing with my peers? And maybe I should know something about. So sharing peer stories is a great way to build energy. But then the other thing we say is, look, I mean, you know, good selling is just good questions, but you want to, it, they're guided questions. You're trying to guide them to feel, are they, is somebody working on something that you can help with? So I think if you haven't been in selling, if you just, you know what you work with on customers, just you can guide people subtly to, hey, are you working on uh, in this or that area that we might be able to help with? So to take your, your example of the contractor and the, it was around a roof project.
0: Yeah. It was siding for my house. Yeah. House siding.
1: Siding for your house. I mean, yeah, I'm just going to make it up. Somebody who's got that business never been in, in selling, you know, but they could show up at a cocktail party and just say to you, Hey, you know, have you been doing any projects outside lately? You know, have you been doing anything? Have you, Do you have any concerns about kind of the, um, you know, the amount of what I'm, you know, kind of water or the exposure that your house is getting? We're seeing a lot of people in your area. There's mold and moss and stuff like that growing, right? So you're just kind of asking questions about what you do that relates to something they can relate to, to see if you get a hit.
0: Yeah, that's for anyone. This applies to people that are in sales forever asking questions of people to lead them to a place of something that you could, that you work on and that you could solve. It's so much better than that. Like you could have said, Hey, we work with these three companies and flex your muscle and we've been able to save them this and decrease that. And we've been able to solve this for them and solve that for them. And sometimes that, you know, people would be like, wow, like that guy really like wants to like, he's he's putting on the full court press like you did it in a much more subtle way is like hey like we get industrial automation we get it because we work with your peers not sure if you've been you know you, you're even looking at a sales transformation but if so let us know you know and if they're not they won't and that's totally fine but if they are if i'm looking at a sales transformation policy you know uh, like just plan strategy and on comes Brent's email that he's worked with my peers and he's doing it in a subtle way, not like, hey, we've been able to do this. We, 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 we. And it's just focus on you, what you're looking to achieve. Like I wouldn't mind talking to him and finding out more, you know?
1: Yeah, exactly. I love the way you said that. I mean, we often think about when you look at your particular prospecting outreach, but it's the way you open a conversation as well is what are you inviting your buyer to? Are you inviting them? As you said, if you go with a hard pitch, what you're saying is, I'm inviting you to be pitched about my product and my company. Yeah. Not many people want to sit through a product pitch, right? <laughs> but when you lead with the, you know, this is what we're working on, questions, are you working on any of that or any kind of questions or examples, what you're saying, what you want to be saying is, would you like to have a value-added conversation? Don't know that we'll ever work together, but would you like to have a conversation You know, to see where it might go? So you want, don't want to invite them to a product pitch. You want to invite them to a value-added conversation. And you typically will get more meetings and higher quality meetings because people will come with more openness.
0: I like the value-added conversation. We've had someone else on this podcast, another sales coach, uh, David Premier, and he, uh, he coached our sales teams. And he, he, he says people confuse value with ROI. You know, and um, we all know like value is what you get; it's not the price you pay. And but value and ROI are not the same thing. Value is a subjective feeling that the person has. We can't come up with it. We can't determine it. We can't tell someone what it is. It's it's a subjective feeling. And ROI is a financial return based on a uh, on some type of statistic. You know, it's I want to get this type of you know specific it's not subjective. So it's, it's a, an objective return. We know, we, you know, you want to re, like achieve this statistic in return on, on what you're putting into it versus a feeling. And so like that value focused conversation that you just mentioned, it's something that you're just like trying to invite. You're not assuming, you're not saying we're going to do this for you. We're going to get this value for you. Like, or if, if you have this problem, we're going to be able to solve it for, you know, you're inviting, you're asking if the value is even there, you're asking the questions that you know, if they were to be certain answers to, then you're someone that like, they might have that, that kind of a value or enough value for, for them to warrant having a conversation with you. right.
1: So, it, you know. It's a great distinction between the value and the ROI. And the reality is the value And sometimes we talk about this as the before and after, the after being the more successful future matters more. The value matters more, right? And then once you've established the value, I can help you go from here to here. The ROI quantifies that, but if you start with the ROI, you often lose credibility.
0: Yeah. 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 Statistics. Yeah. Because it's just, again, like you're being pitched and like, I got to listen to it like
1: you're being pitched
0: product pitch. And uh, I'd, I'd much rather spend my Sundays watching football or anything else. Let me just kind of, kind of as we kind of close off, you know, Brent, what do you think are the hardest parts for like the salespeople that you come in that they're like, man, like the, the 20, 25 plus years, folks that like they feel like they know it all they've they've gone through all the sales trainings in the world and maybe they're successful like i'm sure you've probably entered into some teams with people that were at the top of their leaderboards maybe but they just were like missing maybe a little bit of something that you were talking about what are the hardest parts for like some of the the most trained professional salespeople? that you meet with the hardest parts for them to change? Mindset. Okay, say right. more.
1: Well, well, this is the one thing I've, I've grown fond of saying is that your experience is not a predictor of success. Mm. Experience is backward looking. And in a very dynamic market, which we all live in today, hyper competitive, new market entrance all the time, a lot of buyers we got to line up your experience could be hurting you, right? Because it's it's looking backwards. When you need to be looking forwards at how you, for every one of your buyers, by segment, by role could deliver the most value. And the only way you can do that, honestly, is to be open to learning quickly from your peers on your team. So we believe very strongly in peer-based learning that teams reach the best practice by just constantly socializing best practices to each other. You know, some people get that, some don't, there's some top performers that still sit and fold their arms and tell you they've seen it all and done it before, but generally your experience is not a predictor of future success.
0: Yeah. I mean, I couldn't say it any better. I think, um, obviously every single sale every single situation is different i mean fundamentals and frameworks can can get you you know start uh, put you in the room maybe but they can't get you all the way there obviously every interaction people have different uh, they're looking at it through completely different lenses every it's infinite you can't ever you know like really know it all right and You know, you you make me think of something that I just read too. I think Adam Grant has said this. I've seen others, uh, you know, talk to it as, you know, experience is not the same thing as expertise, you know, how much years you have in something it's good, but that's limited knowledge because, you know, on the other hand, expertise is more, you know, it's more situational based, it's more problems focused, it's more curiosity focused it's more it's more based on like individual goals and uh, being able to solve those kind of individual goals for a specific like niche a specific market versus just having a number of years of experience that's not the same thing people kind of confuse so much and what you were just saying is yeah things are changing so much, right <laughs> yeah. um
1: yeah, yeah yeah I mean we all live in incredibly dynamic, Markets, and so we're we're kidding ourselves if we think that you know your experience is the only thing you need to draw on to be as successful as you can.
0: Wow. So you know, I kind of I, I end off with a fun question. We went through a whole lot today. I'm going to be rewinding this myself. This is just I, I I think because we all want to. This kind of speaks to just we all have these unique things about us, and so sometimes when you can kind of you know, change your mindset again and and kind of understand that, like, there's maybe questions and things we don't know about people personally, and we're not creating as enough human connections as much as we could be. This is just a kind of a fun connection to get people to know you, Brent. So Brent, if I would ask you, maybe your family members, close friends, what is something that just could only or would only happen to Brent? Keltner, something that is just like, so totally you, you know, most people don't really, you know, get to know people and say, man, you know, wow, only Brent does this one thing or has been where, you know, the, the, you know, this thing just only would happen to Brent. What would that thing be? What would that place be? What would that, what would your wife, your kids, what would they say about like, that's only something that Brent could possibly do?
1: I'll say that a little bit differently in terms of what I think people may find surprising.
0: Okay. Um, Like my
1: kids always find this surprising. I'm a pretty intense dude and also very uh, (laughs) organized, right? I I mean, I'm just, right. Um, But I just have like physical comedy. (laughs) Turns (laughs) me into a little kid. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I just laugh like, guffaw in the theater to the point where my kids are trying to shush me
0: so you're big like um on snl like you know the the football guy i think jim carrey is, you know the king of that i'm thinking of chris farley you know chris uh, farley is another great example
1: breaking tables Yeah, physical humor for some reason. I just find it hilarious and I just start laughing gleefully. Oh, that's funny. Uh, I live it's...
0: on a van down by the river,
1: <laughs> <laughs> which I think some people find surprising.
0: That's awesome. Huh? Well, Brent, it's been uh. Wow, that is surprising because I, I well I wouldn't have called you really intense. You're really easy to talk to, and um, you know, but you definitely have an awesome framework. Where can people find more of you and, and just kind of continue this conversation? Maybe reach out to you with a, a very you know empathetic, uh, you, you know, you focused message to connect.
1: Yeah, great. Um, so we have a book website, authenticitywins.com. You can download a forward and first chapter of the book there for free. Or they can come to our main website and learn there, there's a book page there as well. They can, you know, learn more about us at Winalytics, W-I-N-A-L-Y-T-I-C-S dot com. Or they can just email me directly at B. Keltner, K-E-L-T-N-E-R at winalytics.com. Any of those can work.
0: Cool. Brent Keltner, man, thank you so much for your time today. It's been a pleasure.
1: Yeah, Alex, I really enjoyed the conversation. Thanks a lot. Thank you.
0: Hey, gang. All right. Wow. You made it to the end. I know your time is valuable, so thank you from the bottom of my heart for spending your time here with me. If you heard a quote you liked, got a quick bit of value, or you have an idea that can help convince others to join, I urge you to take a minute and leave a five-star rating and review. That helps us gain influence and bring some really great guests on to add even more value to you and others. You can also always contact me directly to tell me your thoughts. I'd love to hear from you. All my info is in the notes. Let's help convince anyone that they have the ability to sell well just by being great humans. And this podcast is proof. All right, see you on the next episode of Stories of Selling Human.